podcast. My name is Rebecca Meidinger. It is wonderful to be here with you. It has been almost three months since I have recorded a podcast, and I'm so excited to be back at it. We are going to dive into a series on the letter to the Philippians written by the Apostle Paul. And I'm just thrilled to be back podcasting, and I just want to share a couple of words about that. Philippians has always been on my heart. I mean, always. <laughs> since I started starting studying the Bible when I was like 19 years old, I have just loved Philippians. I have taught on it several times at different retreats via a Facebook Live, like Bible study group a few years ago. I've written on it, and it has been on my heart to podcast about it. And what has held me back in the last few months is that I have no time. <laughs> and so podcasting takes a lot of time, not just the recording. The recording is actually the shortest part of the whole thing, but the preparation, the study, and then the editing. And the whole process is quite lengthy. And it has held me back because I am now teaching full-time as well at school, which I absolutely love, and have just have much less time to do in-depth Bible study. And I never want to put anything out there that I feel like I haven't read enough, I haven't studied enough, I don't know enough yet. And, And so that has just really held me back the last few months. And so what I've come to realize that I just want to be very upfront about is there is still and forever will be (laughs) so much more for me to read and study and learn about Paul's letter to the Philippians or anything else that I ever teach or write on. There is so much more I want to read and study. And there are people, thousands of people who are maybe millions of people who are so much more knowledgeable, who would be much better teachers for you on this content. And yet it is just on my heart to share. And I just, I just want so very, very badly to just teach and share what the Lord has given me. And so here I am. So I think the new way that I'm going to do this because of the lack of time and because I do not want that to be a hindrance to me just sharing what the Lord has given me, even though it's it's not enough. It's not enough, but it's what I have. And so the, what I need to do, I think, is I'm going to just share what I have. I'm going to study my best and share what I have available and probably not going to take the time to edit the podcast. And that's what I want you to know. So in the past, I would go back and edit mistakes out or me flipping and looking for a page or Uh, just different things like that, or things that I feel like I said that I mispronounced or that I just am wrong about, or if I'm correcting myself, I would edit out all those mistakes. But when I listen to podcasts, which I do constantly, I'm always listening to podcasts, they don't do that. They leave all of the mistakes in there. And I'm like, man, that would go way quicker if you just make it more conversational and leave it in there. So all the ums, all the pauses, all the me thinking what I'm going to say, <laughs> they just leave those in there. And so anyway, I just wanted to give that word of like warning. One thing I did though to make it better is that I have moved my whole podcast area from our furnace room to a closet. <laughs> and so what that means is that we will no longer have the furnace 
noise in the background. Yay. And also I will not have to uh, edit out the sump pump anymore, which is really great. So those are some changes. Those are just some updates on the podcast to make it more a reality for me to take time to do it because I love it so much. And I, I feel, I always feel like the little boy in the gospel account of John during the feeding of the 5,000, we only get it in John's account, but there's actually a little boy in the crowd who has the loaves and the fishes and he is, he's, he's offering them. And I think he offers them to Andrew, actually the disciple Andrew and I just think that is so beautiful because it's just this little boy being like, here's what I have. Can you use it? If you can use it, you can have it, Jesus. And then Jesus is like, absolutely, I can use that. Thank you. And then Jesus does what Jesus does best. He multiplies and grows and blesses and changes our meager little loaves and fishes into what he wants it to be. And so that's how I feel <laughs> when I when I do pretty much everything, but including podcasts and teaching the Bible and writing. Here are my loaves and fishes, Jesus. Do with it whatever you want. And I pray that it would be a blessing to you. So with that introduction, we are going to dive into a study on the letter to the Philippians. I will tell you right off the bat that I do know I do not know how many episodes this will be. There are four chapters in Paul's letter to the Philippians. In this episode, I intend to only make it through half of chapter one. So there may be two episodes per chapter, or there might be some chapters that I decide to put all into one episode. I'm not quite sure yet. So I think it'll be between four and eight episodes. And um, we will just see where the spirit leads. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about where was Philippians written. That's debated. So most scholars almost across the board think that Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison in Rome, which would be his first Roman imprisonment which would be from about 60 to 62 AD. So that's the imprisonment that is recorded at the end of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 28, when Paul finally gets to Rome and he's had this shipwreck and everything. He finally gets to Rome and he rents a house in Rome for two years. And during that time, he is under house arrest. He cannot go anywhere, but people can come see him. And he preaches the gospel. And at the end of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 28, it says that he preached for two years with all boldness and without hindrance, which is just amazing. Another thing he did during that time we know is that he wrote for sure Colossians and Ephesians and the letter to Philemon. A lot of scholars believe that he also wrote Philippians at that time due to a couple of phrases in the letter that we will get to today where he talks about it has become known throughout all of Caesar's household and the palace guard that I'm in chains for Christ. So they believe that he's probably in Rome because that's where Caesar was in Rome. A lot of other scholars, a smaller number of scholars, have recently convinced me (laughs) that perhaps he was in Ephesus, actually, when he wrote his letter to the Philippians. 
So he went to Ephesus on his third missionary journey between 53 and 56 AD approximately. And he was in Ephesus for between two and three years. It seems very likely, based on things that he has written to other other cities, primarily in his letters to the Corinthians, it seems that while he was in Ephesus, he may have been imprisoned for a time there. He talks about just the great deal of suffering that he underwent in Ephesus. And so we're, we're not totally clear if, if he did go to prison in Ephesus, but it seems likely that he did. And throughout the letter to the Philippians, there are some references to trips back and forth between the Philippians and Paul in Ephes- possibly in Ephesus. Wherever Paul is in prison when he's writing the letter to the Philippians, there's reference to trips back and forth. And the thing is that if he's in Rome writing this letter, to get from Rome to Philippi is several weeks of travel. But if he's in Ephesus in prison when he's writing this letter, to the Philippians. Travel takes several days between those two cities, not several weeks. So it seems much more likely that there could be trips back and forth between people visiting him as he's in prison and bringing him gifts, bringing him monetary gifts, and sending people to check on him. And then the other thing is he makes it clear in the letter to the Philippians that when he is released from prison, he's going to come back and visit them. He does that when he leaves Ephesus. We know from the book of Acts that he does, in fact, on his way home from Ephesus, on his way back to Jerusalem, he does stop for a while in Philippi and revisit all the cities and the churches that he has planted in that region. But we know that when he was in Rome, if he was released from prison in Rome, which he was, but when he's writing letters like to the Ephesians and to Colossians, the the city of Colossae. He's in Rome when he writes those letters. And we know from his letter to the Romans, which he wrote from Corinth, this is getting kind of complicated, but he wrote the letter to the Romans from Corinth in like 57 or 58 AD. And we know that his plan was when he is released, when he is in Rome, he plans to leave Rome and go to Spain. So there's reason to believe that if if he or when he got released from prison in Rome in 62 AD, which he did get released from prison at that time, we don't know for sure, but there is a good reason to think that he went on from Spain to Spain from there. Anyway, those are just some reasons that Ephesus seems like a really good option that he might have been in Ephesus when he wrote the letter to the Philippians. And if that's the case, he would have written the letter sometime, probably like 54, 55, 56 AD, somewhere in there. But if he wrote it in Rome, he would have written it about maybe like six years later in 61 or 62 AD, approximately. Anyway, I get really, really excited and interested in all that stuff, but the truth of the matter is it doesn't really matter. (laughs) And scholars have never really figured it out. And when we are in the new creation and we are hanging out in the new city of Jerusalem and we see the Apostle Paul across the street, we can go over there and we can be like, hey, Paul, (laughs) where did you write Philippians? And then he will tell us and we will know. (laughs) Until then, we will not know. 
and that's okay. So what I'm going to do today is I know that my goal is to get through verse 13. Actually, we're going to go through verse 14. So my goal for today in this episode is to do Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And I'm going to start by reading it through, because remember, this is a letter. So we're going to start by reading it through like a letter. And then we will go back to the beginning and go kind of verse by verse and uh, figure out what Paul is saying and also figure out what the Lord is saying to you and me today. All right, so I'm going to start by reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and I will read in Jesus' name. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Here ends the reading. That is Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I read that through the NIV translation. All right, so let's go back and see what we can pick up here. First of all, Paul starts out saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Remember, Paul's in prison, and more than likely, his hands are literally in chains. So later on, when he says that I'm in chains for Christ, he means that quite literally. He's in chains. And so his hands are not free, and Timothy would have written this down for him. Pretty much all of Paul's letters, we know that he uses another person to transcribe them. So he speaks his letters aloud. Timothy is writing it down, more than likely. They are servants of Christ Jesus, and he says to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. So in a little bit, we're going to go back actually and see where the Philippian church is planted in the book of Acts. Some of those overseers and deacons, we know though, we know their names, which is really exciting. And we get those from Acts chapter 16. So we know that Lydia is there most certainly. 
And we know that the jailer is there from when Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi. So we know some of these dear friends that are in Philippi, and we're going to meet some of them later on in this letter as well. He's going to name some of them for us, some of those individuals that he's writing to. But the church, we can assume, is meeting still in Lydia's household, and we'll meet her in just a moment. Then he says his his greeting, which he uses, a, uses in almost all his letters, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. That is a really beautiful thing. When Paul was in Philippi, he underwent tremendous suffering, which, like I said, we're going to go peek at. Uh, but he underwent tremendous suffering, and the, the people in Philippi who surrounded him and who prayed for him are very, very dear and tender to his heart. And that's also interesting because he says in verse 2, which I just read, grace and peace to you. He knows that they are undergoing the same type of persecution that he endured while he was there. They are under they are undergoing great persecution. He's going to reference that later on in chapter 1. He's going to reference that they are also suffering for Christ. And yet he prays over them that they would have the grace and the peace that comes only from Jesus in the midst of persecution. What has always astounded me as I study Paul's letters is that he very often in most of his letters is writing to believers in Jesus who are being punished or persecuted or even killed, arrested for their faith in Christ. He himself has undergone all of that as well. And yet he never, to my knowledge and my reading of the scriptures, he never prays for the persecution to stop. What he prays for is the grace and peace of Jesus to persevere throughout the persecution and for them to have endurance and press on in the midst of the persecution. Press on is a key theme in his letter to the Philippians, that we will press on. We will press on. Well, you don't have to press on if things are easy. Grace and peace to you in the midst of persecution and trials. And he remembers back to when he was persecuted in Philippi, and he remembers his dear friends with joy and thanksgiving. Verse 4, in all my prayers for you, I, rem I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I want you to think about that phrase, the partnership of the gospel. These are his partners in the gospel. The gospel has never, ever been something that we are supposed to carry out alone. Throughout the whole Bible, the entire Bible, the gospel is something that people join together. The church, the body of Christ, carries together into the world. We all do our part, but we never are supposed to do it alone. We need partners in the gospel. The Apostle Paul never tried to do it alone. He never tried to do it alone. 
he had partners in the gospel and he always was partnered with other people. And then he brought others into the partnership as he preached the gospel. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel and churches were started in all these different cities and then the churches would grow. He would pastor over them and then he would appoint other leaders and they would grow together as partners in the gospel. And it becomes this amazing network. So amazing that by the time we get to his letter to the Romans, which he wrote in about 57 AD from the city of Corinth, when he is, he had never been to Rome, (laughs) which just is mind blowing. At this point, he had never been to Rome, but he's writing them a letter because he knows that there are believers in Jesus there, and he's hoping to get there very much. And in Romans chapter 16, even though he had not ever been to Rome, when he is listing partners in the gospel and thanking his partners in the gospel and encouraging them, he lists by name 26 people, 26 partners in the gospel, many of whom he had never met, but he had known them through through letters and through uh, conversation with other believers. And some of them he had definitely met on the road in different travels. And then he knew that they went to Rome. So he's greeting them while they're there. I mean, it's just amazing. The network, the network of believers is phenomenal. And they're partners in the gospel because it's not something we're ever supposed to do alone. So my question to you is, Who are your partners in the gospel? Are you partnering with someone? Are you partnering with your church? Are you partnering with different Sunday school teachers? Are you partnering with a Bible study group? Are you partnering with a prayer partner? Are you partnering with a a men's group or a women's group? Or if you're a teenager, are you going to youth group? Are you going to camp? You're you're supposed to be partnering with people in the gospel because it's it's not something to carry alone, okay? We don't do it alone. We partner with people in the gospel. Now, interestingly, he says, um, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, here's where I want to go peek at that first day. So what's really fun about the letter to the Philippians is that we can actually go into the book of Acts and we can see that very first day. It's right there for us in Acts chapter 16. So I'm not going to read through Acts chapter 16, but I am going to point you there. And if you are like me and you listen to your podcast in the car, then you cannot read this right now. But I want to encourage you to read it at some point because you can see Philippians first day. But here is what is so astounding about the first day at Philippi is that Acts chapter 16 is a little bit mysterious and that Paul is on his second missionary journey. He is with Silas this time and they have just gone through Derby and Lystra again, which Paul went through on his first missionary journey as well. And he has picked up Timothy. He probably met Timothy on his first missionary journey And now Timothy has had a couple of years to grow in the Lord Jesus. And now he joins the missionary team. And they continue traveling throughout what is now like modern day Turkey. And the Holy Spirit keeps telling them no. (laughs) So there's a couple of times in Acts chapter 16, it says that the Holy Spirit would not let them go into north, into the province of Asia. 
And then they tried to go into Mysia, but and they tried to enter Bithynia. And uh, Bithynia, again, would be like the northern, like what is now northwestern Turkey. But the spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them. So twice, it's interesting because once it says the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching. And then the next time it says the spirit of Jesus would not let them go northwest into Bithynia. So they just kept going. And what's they, they get to the port city of Troas, which is, again, that would be on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. And by this time, from Antioch in Syria, where they started, to Troas in on the west coast of modern-day Turkey, uh, which is right on the Aegean Sea, they have walked nearly 800 miles. <sighs> I'm going to just repeat that. They have walked nearly 800 miles. And they don't know where to go. <laughs> they're like, they know they're supposed to be preaching the gospel. And the spirit of Jesus has just told them, not here, not here, not here. So they get to Troas and they must just be... I mean, it doesn't say it in the text, but you just got to try to think, like, what did they feel like? Did they feel defeated? Did they feel frustrated? Did they feel exhausted and, like, um, out of options? Or were they just, like, full of joy, just waiting on the Lord and being like, well, he'll show us when he shows us? I mean, it doesn't show us necessarily how they felt about this. But it says that in Acts chapter 16, verse 9, it says, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they jump on a boat in Troas, they cross the Aegean Sea, they go over to Macedonia, which is like northern Greece, and um, they, they land there, they travel about 80 more miles by foot until they get to the city of Philippi, and there they stay, and there is not a synagogue there. Usually when, they, when Paul preached, they always would start in the synagogue and preach to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And there wasn't a synagogue, which tells us that there would have been fewer than 10 Jewish men in the city of Philippi. So it's almost entirely Gentile. And they went down to the river to where they, on the Sabbath day, to where they knew that a place of prayer, if there were any Jews in the city, there would be a place of prayer there. And they met a woman named Lydia, and her heart was ready for the gospel. And they preached the gospel to her. She was a worshiper of God, which probably means that she was a Gentile woman. She was from the city of Thyatira, and she was wealthy. She dealt purpose, purple cloth. She was a businesswoman. She was a worshiper of God, which probably means that she had converted to Judaism. So she would have been a Gentile convert to Judaism. And she received the gospel message of Jesus. The Lord opened her heart. She was baptized. And then she invited Paul and Silas and Timothy. She said, come and stay at my house. And so they stayed at Lydia's house and they did ministry work in the city of Philippi. 
Lydia's house would have been probably big enough that she was able to host the the early church in Philippi. Members of her household were also baptized. That could be family members. It could also be servants, uh, those who worked for her. They preached the gospel, and the church in Philippi was born that day. After a few weeks, Paul and Silas delivered a demon out of a girl who was being used as a slave. She had a fortune-telling demon in her, and she was being used as a slave. And so Paul and Silas delivered the demon out of her. And then the slave owners, the people who owned her, were so angry because they lost their income <laughs> that they they took Paul and Silas to the city magistrates, the city governor, and anyway, it ends up that Paul and Silas were beaten and flogged and then were put in prison. And they underwent just tremendous suffering at that time. Then, you've, you might be familiar with the story. This is all in Philippi. There was a huge earthquake. They were singing and worshiping while they were in prison. And there was uh, an earthquake, a, a violent earthquake, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken open. And the jailer was scared and he almost killed himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped and Paul and Silas is like no 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 we're all here we're all here don't hurt yourself and then the jailer comes to Christ and his family comes to Christ and it doesn't say in the text but I would imagine that some of those other prisoners in the in the jail came to Christ I mean it, and the church is just growing and growing and growing how is it growing it's growing through persecution it's growing through persecution after that, Paul and Silas do have to leave Philippi because of the persecution. And they go on to Thessalonica, where they are also persecuted. But the church in Philippi has begun. It has, it has been born. And that is the first day. And so what Paul says to them is that I am confident that, that he who began a good work... The Lord began a good work in you, Philippi, and he will bring it to completion before the day of the Lord's return. He is going to keep on growing your body, your church, in your city. Keep preaching the gospel. Moving on to verse 7, he says, so I'm back in Philippians 1 now. Paul writes, it's right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or if I'm defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. I love that phrase in, in the Christian Standard Bible. So I'm reading out of the NIV. But in the Christian Standard, it says um, that you are all partners with me in grace. I just, I just absolutely love that because you are, you're partners in grace. And I, I just want to ask you again, like, your partnerships in the gospel are also another way to think about those people, those people that you partner with in the work of the gospel. They are your partners in grace. You are partners in grace. And that's just a beautiful way to think about each other. It makes it a lot harder to argue with people if you if you think about them from the perspective that you are a partner with me in grace. So we both come into this partnership only through the grace of God. We partner together in the grace of God. 
makes it a lot harder to be annoyed with people. I mean, you're still going to get annoyed, (laughs) but it puts everything in perspective. Like we are partners in grace. Verse eight says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I will say that's another thing that makes me think a little bit that he might be in Ephesus and not Rome. When he's in Rome, we know from the scriptures in Acts chapter 28 that for those two years that he's in Rome, he is he has people with him like all the time. People are coming and going from his house. It says that it, at one point in Acts chapter 28, he says that there were so many people in his house and he was preaching the gospel to so many people that nobody else could fit. <laughs> so, um... But here, if he's in Ephesus when he's writing this, he is longing for the people in Philippi. Like he's, it just has a little bit more, sounds a little bit more like maybe he's lonely. He certainly had partners with him in Ephesus completely. And he's with Timothy. So he's not alone. And Silas is there. And if he's in Ephesus, uh, probably... Uh, like Priscilla and Aquila would be there. And, you know, he is not alone. However, he might not have as many people supporting him in Ephesus as he did in Rome. So anyway, verse nine, this is my prayer, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you might be able to discern what is best And you might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, that's a that's a deep, deep prayer. But I just want to back up a little bit and dissect it just a tad. He prays for the people of Philippi. And again, like I said, he's going to mention later on in chapter one, and we're not going to get that far today, but it becomes very clear that they are also suffering. They, They are currently suffering persecution. And his prayer for them is not that the persecution would stop. This is just utterly amazing to me. But what his prayer is for them is that their love would abound more and more. Now, this would specifically be referring to their love for Christ, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge, in depth of insight, so that as you love Jesus, as you love the gospel, as you love God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as you love him, that your knowledge would grow, that you would get to know him more. In chapter 3 of Philippians, we just see that that is Paul's heart to know Christ more. He prays that the Philippians would know God more. And as they know God more, their insight would deepen, that they would understand more deeply the intricacies of the gospel and of the God who loves them and how he saved them. And that then they would discern what is best, that they would know right from wrong, (laughs) that they would continually discover what is best, how to live, how to behave, how to get along, how to live in the world, that you would discern what is best, not what is okay, not what is acceptable, Not what is better than how the Gentiles live. What is best? That you would discern what is best for you. What is best for the kingdom of God? What is best for sharing the gospel? What is best for living 
in this world, but as a citizen of heaven, which is another theme that we're going to get to later on in Philippians, what is best? I pray that as you know, as you learn to love God, you would grow in knowledge of him, that you would get to know him more and more, that your insight into the things of God would deepen and that that would teach you how to live in the ways that are best while you're on this earth. It's just a phenomenal prayer, one that we can certainly use and apply to our own lives, to our children, to our own churches, just anywhere that we have any sort of influence or impact. That's a beautiful prayer for us to use. And that then also you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness. In Hebrews, it says that righteousness brings a harvest of peace. I mean, who doesn't want that? That it will bring with it a a harvest of peace so that we could be filled with righteousness to the glory and praise of God. All right, we're going to wrap up with two last verses. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, being put in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I really love... It seems like when I look up the Greek words, it seems like that is very literal, that I'm in chains for Christ. That is literally what he said. The way the Christian Standard Bible translates this, which is another fantastic translation, he says that my prison, my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. And I, I love that translation as well because rather than being in prison or in chains, the way that these translators translated it is that he is in Christ. His imprisonment is because he is in Christ. So what is more important, that he is in chains or that he is in prison or that he is in Christ? What is, what is the key thing of where the word in goes? These translators decided, well, what he's saying here is he is in Christ So his imprisonment is because he's in Christ. The way the NIV translated it is instead of the word imprisonment, they use the more literal word chains, that his chains, I'm in chains for Christ. And then another way they could have phrased it is that my chains are because I am in Christ, which is what the Christian standard. So I know that gets really technical, but I love that the Christian standard translation went with the route that, no, the place that he is in is he is in Christ. So his imprisonment, that noun, that occurrence is happening because he is in Christ. I just love that. That is his location. His his primary location is not jail. His primary location is not chains. His primary location is Christ. And so then that lets me ask myself and you as well, what is your primary location? So my primary location right now is that I'm a school teacher and I love it. I guess that's not really my primary location. My primary location is that I am a mom and I'm a wife. And being a mom and a wife is wonderful and incredibly stressful. (laughs) And Um, Being a school teacher is so much fun and wonderful and incredibly stressful. Um, But those are those are some facts about my life. But 
where is my primary location? My primary location in life is that I am in Christ. I am in Christ. And then everything else is kind of periphery, you know, it's peripheral. I am in Christ and all the other things, no matter how important they are, they are, they are peripheral. I am in Christ. So anyway, he says that him being imprisoned is actually advancing the gospel. And he says it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden and to everyone else that his imprisonment is because of the fact that he is in Christ. Now, this is why most scholars across the board believe that he is in Rome because he said, mentions the palace guard. And what is also true, that so that is true, that's totally true. He could be in Rome because that's where obviously the emperor is located. But Ephesus is also a great option because Ephesus is the, the capital of Asia at this time the province of Asia, not the continent of Asia, but at this time Asia was a, a province, which is now modern-day Turkey, and and uh, Ephesus was the capital of that. So as a capital, of, capital city, it would have had, that's where the governor would have lived, and the governor's home was called Caesar's household, and also they would have had a praetorium guard there from, like the palace guard, the praetorium guard, you know, from Rome. Uh, so... It could have been Ephesus as well, but either way, it doesn't matter. But in verse 14, and this is real wrap up today, he says, because of my chains, because of my imprisonment, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The brothers and sisters are proclaiming the gospel without fear fear. So one thing that's interesting too, if this was written in Rome, one thing I've always loved to compare is that in both the letter to Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians, in both of them, he ends the letter by asking the people of Colossae and the people of Ephesus to pray that he would be able to preach the gospel with all fear and without, or sorry, with all boldness and without fear fear with all boldness and without fear in both letters it's almost the exact same request that he makes to both groups of um, believers and if philippians was written at the same time in that same imprisonment scholars do think philippians would have been written a little bit later in that imprisonment because in the in the letter to the philippians it sounds very much like he is waiting an answer like am i going to be released or am i going to get killed one of the two is going to happen so in whatever pr- imprisonment Philippians was written, scholars think uh, it's, it's near the end of the imprisonment and he's very much awaiting an answer and expecting an answer soon. So if Philippians was written from Rome, I just think it's extremely cool because he asked the Ephesians and the Colossians to pray that he would preach the gospel with all boldness and with no fear. And in Philippians, which could have been written shortly after that, he tells people that all of the brothers and sisters are also proclaiming the gospel without fear, which is just like phenomenal, 
phenomenal answer to prayer if if that's the order in which these letters were written. Again, we don't know, and there are fantastic arguments for both Ephesus and Philippi, or sorry, for, for Ephesus and Rome. All right, that brings us to the end of the text that we are going to cover today. My prayer for you as we close today is that you would think about who are your partners in the gospel. Throughout the letter to the Philippians, Paul is going to encourage us to press on, press on, press on in the gospel, press on for the sake of Christ, press on as a citizen of heaven, press on ultimately to know Jesus more. And it is crucial to remember that Paul was not writing the letter of Philippians to a person. He was writing it to a church. And that when he tells them to press on, he expects them to do it with their partners in the gospel, with their partners in grace. We're not supposed to press on alone. We're supposed to press on with people, with believers, with dear friends, with those that we love and adore and are growing together, with those that we suffer and with those that we rejoice. And so who are you pressing on with? Who are your partners in the gospel? And then my last question for you is, remember when they went to Philippi, there was a dear woman there named Lydia who, unbeknownst to them, was ready and waiting for someone to preach the gospel to her. And when they preached the gospel, she quickly came to Christ and quickly opened her home and the church quickly began to grow in Philippi. Is there a Lydia in your life who is just waiting for you to share the gospel with her or with him? Ask God. Ask God. God, is there a Lydia who's just like waiting? And all I have to do is open my eyes and, you know, the Lord wouldn't let them go into uh, what is now modern day Turkey, north or south. The Lord just pressed them through modern day Turkey and was like, get over to Macedonia because there's a woman there named Lydia who's ready. And they, di- they didn't know that. <laughs> Not that there was anything wrong with modern day Turkey. They had already preached the gospel in many, many places there on Paul's first missionary gospel or missionary route. And those churches were growing. So the Lord certainly had work for him to do there. And then on their third missionary journey, he went to lots of other places in that same region. He spent time in Ephesus, which on the second missionary journey, God would not let him do that. But that's because there was a woman named Lydia across the Aegean Sea who needed the gospel. And the Lord was just like pressing Paul on, like, go over there, get over there and preach the gospel because her heart is ready and she's going to open her house and the church is going to grow in a mighty way. Go. And so they did. And it just makes me wonder, who is my Lydia? Who is ready for the gospel? And the Lord is just like, Rebecca, be faithful. Be faithful. Stop twiddling your thumbs and be faithful. Get on the move because someone is ready to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ through you. So ask God. God, who are my, who are my partners in the gospel? Who are my partners in grace? And who is, who is my Lydia? Who is ready to hear the gospel? And would you send me, Lord? 
thank you so much for listening today. I'm super excited to continue on in Philippians chapter one with you. Another thing I will say, just kind of like a housekeeping detail, actually really kind of a silly detail is <laughs> one other little change, but wonderful change I've made in my life is that I have deleted all my social media, which I love. I have did that several months ago and absolutely love not having it. But what's funny is that then I'm here, I'm podcasting and I really don't have anywhere to share it. <laughs> which is pretty lame, but I would love for you to share it. So I've learned um, the best way to share podcasts is honestly just through word of mouth. So I used to use social media to share it, and I think it was a little bit effective, but a much better way is just to share people. Like if they're looking for a Bible podcast, if you could just point them to Seeking Pearls, I would love that. And then another thing I've learned uh, is that the way the algorithms work on all of the podcast um, apps is if you review my podcast, it like bumps it up or something. So if you like the Seeking Pearls podcast, and if you would give it a review, and if you would tell your friends about it, that would be awesome. And I'll try to be more, I'll be here. Okay. Instead of being silent for three months, I'll be here, but I might be unedited (laughs) just so you know. All right. Well, you have a fabulous day. Thank you so much for being here with me. Bye.